we just don't have that much information, you know? We just don't have as much information as we need to. And so we're making decisions with just the best information that we have at the time and just trying to roll with it, you know? So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron LeBauer, your host. And today, my special guest is Nicole Cozine. And Nicole joins me all the way from California. And she's here because she not only rocked it at PT BizCon, but she's been doing some great stuff for pelvic community and dealing with the whole coronavirus and closing down her business and reopening it. So I wanted to get on her on here to share with you what she's doing. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much. I know so much has happened since BizCon. It's kind of crazy. Yep. And uh, yeah, but let's talk about it because I'm an open book and it's been, it's been really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, every decision is like 10,000 little decisions after that, you know? So it's, and I mean, you know, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. We finished up PT BizCon and I think it was Friday, Saturday, and then I got done with strategy calls and all closing it down and doing everything. And at four o'clock on Sunday, I sent, I took Jake to the airport and I went home, grilled out, spent time with my kids for the first time in a week and a half. And at 9.30 that night, my wife and I finally had time to sit down and talk about, are we actually seeing patients Monday morning? And right. we weren't, but you know, we fit, made that decision at 9.30 at night on Sunday. Yeah. And we, I mean, over here too in California, and it's so interesting how different everything is regionally also, because I think it's hitting all of us at different times. Mm -hmm. And we had an instance in California where our Orange County, um, which for those of you guys who don't know, Orange County is halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego. So our county stuff actually sent out, and I don't really know if it was a mistake or something. They sent out the stay-at-home order like three days before California did, mm -hmm. and it was really confusing. And so then California was saying, no, 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 Orange County rescinded it. Wow. So we like shut down for a day and then we were like, oh, just kidding. You know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty because we didn't really get like what was going to end up happening. Mm -hmm. And so then we were like, oh, okay, well, back in the clinic, it's okay. And then boom, on that Thursday then, or, um, California had the, the stay-at-home order. And so then we had to shut down right again. So it was just like so nuts. And, right. and I think the biggest challenge in all of this stuff is just working with, with imperfect information. Mm -hmm. And you know you don't have all of it. And for us, like number one, PTs who are kind of control freaks and like try to think about everything <laughs> from, from like 8 million steps ahead. Like we just don't have that much information, you know? We just don't have as much information as we need to. And we're, so we're making decisions with just the best information that we have at the time and just trying to roll with it, you know? Right, right. So here, let's go back and remind everyone, I think you came in on, I, was, I just said, look it up, episode 86. So it was like last summer. Oh, right. yeah. So First we're 100. like 100 and, 120 
or something like that. I don't know, 130. So it's been a while, but so you've got a practice in California. It's mostly a pelvic PT practice. You've got what, five or six other employees and therapists. Can you give us a quick rundown on? Yeah, quick rundown. So I first started at a hospital-based clinic, grew a pelvic floor program there for five years, worked at an outpatient physical therapy, smaller pelvic health-based clinic. There was the clinical director there and then broke off about four years ago to start my own clinic. It's called Pelvic Sanity. We treat men and women with pelvic health conditions all over the place. And yeah, so in three years, we had grown to, I think, five physical therapists, five PTs, two front desks, another admin, and a massage therapist. So Mm -hmm. nine total people. And yeah, and then we built that to a seven-figure cash PT revenue business, which is pretty friggin' awesome in that short of a time. So we'll That's see dope. how it continues to go. And, you know, and, and we never thought that at our four-year anniversary, we would be shut down. Right. When was your four-year uh, anniversary? What was the date? So technically, so we have kind of like two, but basically like mid-April. So April like 15th, mm-hmm. we kind of picked as our, our date. So April 15th, no patients coming in the doors. No patients, zero. And all of our employees were furloughed at that time. And it was wow. just, it was actually really scary, right? Because it's like, at that point, we didn't know. We'd been closed down for four weeks, and mm-hmm. we just we didn't know like what the future of pelvic sanity was gonna was gonna hold. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was gonna come back to its previous level. I still kind of we have an inkling now that yes, it will, but we still don't hundred percent know how it's gonna look. Right. You know, in in six months. So so scary. can you let's go back like March? Like what was the timeline? Like when was that? San Diego stay-at-home order. When did when was the California one? And when did you so guys? So the oh gosh, the actual date I can look, but it was like mid March. So I think it was like March 18th, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And you know, at that point, APTA hadn't really come out yet with anything that they were saying. So it was all kind of up to us about and and in our area, Los Angeles wasn't quite a hot spot, but there definitely had rising numbers. You know, Orange County had rising numbers. Seattle on on our side of the country mm-hmm. had been kind of a hot spot. So it was definitely really, really scary. And we kind of knew that coronavirus was around. And obviously, PT BizCon had been canceled at that point. And well, we, just we, also- we moved from in-person to virtual. Oh, we, so, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did not cancel, right? But we, you know, but we had just gotten back from, you know, not too long ago, less than a month before we were at CSM, right. you know? So it was like such a hard, hard pivot to like, whoa, wait, what the heck's going on? And it was a little scary. But when the week of the closure, the actual stay-at-home order, the scary part for us was that we had tons of patients just calling to cancel. Mm -hmm. And that's when we were really like, oh, dang, like we weren't freaking out as much, I think, because, you know, we're healthcare providers, we kind of get universal precautions and what a virus is and like how it was being transmitted at that point. And so for us, we were just like, oh, going along our days. And then all of a sudden, it was like the 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 fear of everybody and the anxiety of everything. And that's what really, I think, caused Jesse and I, and for those of you guys who don't know, I run the business with my husband. We were like, oh shit, like this is, this is a big deal because I think we dropped in like a couple of days till basically like 30 to 40% of our, to, for our normal patient load. And that's like a huge drop over just some stuff on the, on the news. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there wasn't actually a stay at home order yet. Nothing had been actually happening, but you know, and of course it was to come a couple of days later, but 
that's what was really scary. It was like, gosh, the fragility of just the, the stability of, of our minds around everything was really was like, oh my gosh, like people are, are really scared, mm-hmm. you know? And they're yeah. canceling. So they called to cancel before, and in droves before you guys even considered having to close. Yeah. I mean, we had talked a little bit about like, oh, what's going to happen? And then at that point too, right, there was no PPP loan. There was no, uh, no talks of anything like that. So then we were kind of like, okay, as a business owner, and we have a, a, a responsibility to our employees. Okay. Like we've planned for, of course, not a global pandemic, but we've planned for things where we wouldn't be bringing in money and maybe we would need to still continue to pay people's salaries. But then it was like, well, that's great if we have an end date, mm-hmm. you know, like, but we can't, I didn't, we couldn't as an employer, I also couldn't promise and shell out our biggest expense, which is payroll without the, the, the certainty that there was going to be ever patients coming back in or what was, how long that was going to be. And so when we went home and then we didn't sleep for like days because we were going through all of the permutations of what could happen and what just balance that balancing the tension between our, our responsibility to our patients, the responsibility to our employees as an employer, and then also the social responsibility of everything was really like a tough, you know, we didn't make the decision to close lightly, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we, we decided, especially when then California came down with the statewide stay-at-home order, then it was a lot easier when almost the decision was made for us to be yeah, like, yeah. you know what, let's just push pause right now. But legally, you could have been seeing patients, right? A hundred percent, you know, and we had talked about that. And, and this is where, gosh, it's so different regionally, right? It is, and I believe that pelvic physical therapy, I believe that physical therapy, I agree that it is an essential service and that we're really important. But for me personally, we decided to that the social responsibility of us closing when there was so much uncertainty about the numbers and whether or not we were actual, I mean, the the whole point was to flatten the curve, right? Mm-hmm. So if to us, I, you know, I've always walked around too saying like, well, pelvic PT isn't an emergency and you know, there, well, while we're important, is it really like necessary in the face of crazy uncertainty that we stay open for that time. So what we chose to do was basically shut down in two week increments Mm -hmm. so that we could assess so that it wasn't a day to day fluctuation for anybody, our patients, our staff, and frankly us. Cause at that point we were just like, we just need to make a decision and stick with it (laughs) (laughs) because I cannot keep doing this. Like, are we open? Are we closed? Are we open? Are we closed type of thing? So we ended up deciding to close in two week increments. And at that point, the stay at home order was for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as it got extended, and we can talk about this here in a second, but as it got extended, we still chose to close the clinic in two week increments. So going back to the essential conversation, you know, I believe that pelvic PT is really, really, really important. But at that point in time, I sort of took it to be essential PT was people that were in the hospital or cleaning, you know, clean, not cleaning, um, making sure clearing beds, not cleaning, clearing beds and making sure that, that people that were in the hospital could go home safely and stuff like that. That's what I sort of interpreted essential to be at that time, Mm -hmm. even though I know that, and I do not 
if you chose to stay open during that time, then freaking more power to you. Like it was such an individual decision, I think, that none of us should be judging anybody else for what we decided to do during these like unprecedented right. times. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's so. really difficult. And I think for me, a big factor was the other people that work for me because I'm now somewhat responsible for them as their employer. You know, how does, how does it impact not just my employees, but the people in the community and, and, and city and et cetera, and my family, right? I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. too many factors. Was <laughs> there, I mean, that was like one of the hardest, hardest decisions I had to make, you know? What, was there anything else that went into your decision to close? Did you guys, did you actually close completely? Did you do telehealth? Like, so, okay, good question. So we closed for in-person visits, but then the logistics of actually deciding that we were actually going to furlough our employees came when we did find out that there was the extra stimulus mm -hmm. for $600 on top of whatever they would have gotten for unemployment. So when we balanced out what we would be able to guarantee them in patient hours, right? So we still had some volume of patients that would be there. We couldn't guarantee everybody the same thing. And we didn't want to piecemeal things together at that point. And with the extra stimulus, it was actually not going to be a huge, huge, huge blow for them at that time, as long as it was going to be a relatively short period of time. So but that was crazy too, because we didn't know anything about that, you know, so mm -hmm. we had to like go and research all the things so that when we went to our employees, we actually had facts and that we really do think you guys, that this is the best decision for you right now. And, you know, the difference, explaining the difference between, you know, truly a layoff versus being furloughed, like you're still employees of pelvic sanity. We fully intend for you guys to come back 100% at the capacity. But right now we can't guarantee like patient hours and that kind of stuff. So it is best for a consistency standpoint for you guys to just take that and get unemployment for the time being. And then we just kept in close, close contact with our employees throughout the whole time. Mm -hmm. But that was really... But here's the thing, right? So, but when they're, they can't work for us then if we decide to do that. So that was the thing. We tried to gauge like the percentage of people that we felt like could move to telehealth to see, do we actually have the patient volume to promise and guarantee hours? And at that point we just didn't, I didn't feel confident in that. So, so it was um, like, you're, 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 so for instance, let's say you're seeing a hundred patient visits a week. You're thinking, well, we got maybe, maybe 20, 30 of those visits, but I've got five employees and maybe I could keep one on to do the telehealth, but it's probably, they'd be seeing five of everyone else's patients. And yeah. it was and just, just like, from a cohesive standpoint yeah. and pelvic health is a little bit different too. It's not like just your knee. And then, you know, the other challenge too, right, is that when we've marketed and prided ourselves on being, and you know this, manual-based mm -hmm. physical therapy, to all of a sudden not only pivot on our patients to, oh yeah, by the way, like, because we know it's valuable, but right. they don't necessarily, we haven't educated them on how valuable it mm -hmm. is. So that was going to be a challenge. So that was still uncertain at that time. And then also just to be completely frank, like there is a big learning curve with doing stuff online. Now I've been doing that kind of stuff for a couple of years with remote consultations and remote coaching. Mm -hmm but my staff hasn't. And so to also think about the training aspect that was going to have to go, you know, there for pivoting to everybody to telehealth 
taking the time, taking the money without any patient revenue coming in at that point to, to um, train, then that was a not a good calculus of what we right. wanted to be doing with our time and with our money. And so we ended up deciding to, to furlough everybody at that point. Um, and then I was the one who sort of took everybody's um, patients that wanted to go to telehealth um, on. So that's what we chose to do at that time. Yeah. So how long, how long did that last? Are you still doing that? Is everyone back? Are your employees back or are people off furlough? How'd that? Yeah. How'd that work? So good. Excellent question. Um, I know so much. I have some practice at doing this. (laughs) So, okay. So what we ended up doing, right. So we couldn't really talk to technically, you know, you can't really talk to them and have them be working on anything at that point. So Mm -hmm. we did have a couple of like just zoom calls as like, happy hours to just sort of like, Hey, how is everybody doing? And then just give like a little clinic update. And my conversion rate, if you will, to telehealth, frankly, kind of sucked it just to be completely honest with everybody. It was about 15% of patients and almost nobody in the first couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being around week three and four of being closed. I think everybody was kind of like, Oh wait, like I can't continue on I am in pain and I do need help and I do need some help to decide what I'm going to be doing during this time. So that's when the remote consultations started to, or the telehealth consultations from our current patients started to pick up. What was interesting though is, and this is something that just in a telehealth conversation is sort of interesting, is that you know I actually got to saw an increase in people seeking me out just for a remote coaching, remote consultations. Mm-hmm. just outside of my current patients. And I think what ends up happening is that telehealth, whether or not you practice through your state or do coaching, remote coach coaching and stuff, it gets to be a little bit more competitive because mm-hmm. now you're competing with everybody in California or people that do coaching like I do outside. And so it's like, huh. So people I think were thinking like, so say they have interstitial cystitis, right? Which is a condition that I wrote a book on. Mm -hmm. So now they can't see their local PT. So why wouldn't they then seek out kind of an expert in the field during this time? So we actually saw an increase in that, which I felt was sort of interesting, you know? And I think ultimately our messaging to our patients was very much, we intend to be back in the clinic in a couple of weeks. So we didn't really quote unquote push telehealth until we were kind of like, Ooh, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is going to last a little bit longer. And then we sort of did a little bit of education on what we could actually do during a telehealth session. And then we did see a bit of an increase for our current patients that did convert there. So we ended up probably with about more like 15 to 20%, but still not a huge increase. Are you guys seeing people in person right now this week? So yeah, so our official open date was May, was May, this month is May, yeah, May yeah, it's 18th. May. <laughs> it's all blurred together. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, I don't even know where, you know, what's going on. So the, our official reopen date was May 18th. We actually did decide to open up for a kind of a select few number of patients the week prior to make sure that we could you know, fulfill on all of our COVID policies and sort of do almost like a dry run with patients mm-hmm. in the clinic and, and all of that. So we did have a couple, a few patients in the clinic last week and even a couple of the, on that, the latter part of the week prior to that. Yeah. Um, and so then, then, you know, re-staggering people. So we didn't have everybody come back all at once. We actually had 
um, a person come back a couple of weeks before we were going to see patients, mostly then at that point, because we had gotten, thankfully, the PPP loan. So we could, you know, pay her for non-revenue generating sorts of things to do Mm -hmm. um, with a little bit more cushion of like, okay, that will probably be a forgiven expense if we can do all of the, do all of the calculations on all of the rules on that. So, so we had her come back first and then we had her treat patients for a week. And then we have next person coming back a week later from that. And then we have our next person coming back a week later from that. And then our next person will come back hopefully a week or two after that. Mm -hmm. Did you, um, did your admin staff all go furloughed as well, or do you keep anyone on? Yeah, uh, we did uh, furlough our admin staff as well, but then we brought her back the same time we brought our first PT back because mm-hmm. there's a ton of work to be done with co- reaching back out to patients and calling people. And then we had also, you know, in digital marketing and digital media, right, you ask your audience, like, what do they want? What do they need? So we took a little bit out of that playbook and we actually asked our patients, we had them write a sur- uh, answer a survey mm-hmm. and say, are you comfortable coming back? Just so we could kind of gauge our volume. Because we see, you know, almost between 120 and 140 patient visits a week when we're hopping with all with yeah. all five people. So I kind of wanted to gauge, like, are we going to have 50%? Is it, Are there still going to be people that aren't aren't comfortable? Like, so we did surveys. We also used it as a little bit of pre-framing mm-hmm. for hey, these are some of the policies. Are you comfortable with those policies, right? We'll be wearing masks. Do you have a mask kind of a thing um, to wear? So that we ended up getting back on that survey, like about a 70% rate of people that were saying, yes, in about a couple of weeks, I'll be quote unquote ready to come back. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, yeah. So then knowing that, then we can sort of plan. And that's how we ended up deciding how to plan um, the return of our people. It sounds so dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) So you brought them in like one at a time. (laughs) Yeah. So what are the, yeah, go ahead. We've only had, so there's over the last, since we've been open for, Mm -hmm. you know, two and a half weeks, kind of, we've only had one patient slot that we couldn't fill. So, so far, (laughs) I know. That's awesome. And is everyone back? Not yet. We have one person coming next week and then Mm -hmm. one more, hopefully like the week or two after that. Okay. But their schedules are already getting full. So we're already scheduling those people. Oh, awesome. um, Appointments. Yeah. Awesome. What were some of the policies and procedures you guys are using to reopen? Good question. (laughs) Uh, Gosh, this was also, you know, there's no like, we had like what some other clinic owners were doing and stuff like that. And we obviously look at like what the CDC and the WHO recommend, but it's kind of all over the map, frankly. And so from an outpatient PT perspective, we decided to, obviously we have masks. Mm -hmm. So we all have our masks and then we are having patients wear masks. Some of the more difficult decisions we had to make, especially for a public PT clinic, is that we have a a bathroom in office and we only have one sink without the bathroom. And so Mm -hmm. we actually decided to close the in-office bathroom from a cleaning purposes and just to add an extra sink for us to go back and wash our hands more Mm -hmm. frequently. And our patients have pretty like been pretty good with that, actually. There's a public restroom that's not too far away, but they have to go outside of the clinic for that. 
So that was one of the things that we were like really worried about being a pelvic health mm-hmm. clinic, not to have that for people, but everyone's been really cool and just really understanding that we just have to make these sacrifices right now. Yeah. You know, we have 15 minute increments in between each patient to clean. We don't let people stay in the waiting room. We're not allowing children in, which is, was a big business decision as well. Cause a lot of kids are having, well, a lot of people are having childcare issues right, right. now because their kids are all home. But we didn't want any, so our policy is basically that if you are walking, you can't come in here as a kid. You have to be in your little baby carrier mm-hmm. and stay in there. So yeah, those are some of the policies. Yeah. So let me ask you this. <laughs> is there someone in the physical therapy world that should have been putting out these policies or is it really just up to us? Because are we that smart, right? <laughs> I think this is one of the... This is one of the, and I said this, I forget where I was saying it, maybe I'm the huddle, mm-hmm. but the, so the APTA wrote like a guideline principle of like what essential is and everything like that. And, you know, on their part, I think it was brilliant, right? Because it didn't say anything right. <laughs> about, it didn't give us actually any guidance. And you compare that with the American Dental Association, for Mm -hmm. instance, that actually mandated and said, and even the massage therapy board right now is saying, you are not allowed to open until whatever phase thing, you know, like we actually wanted our massage therapist back because what she's basically doing the same things that we are with that mm-hmm. in the one-on-one treatment room and she's not a she, her board isn't allowing her to go back and therefore her insurance wouldn't cover anything and all that kind of stuff so i i yeah i think we definitely needed some very specific guidelines to tell us how to reopen safely right. and you know and yeah of course we're obviously smart enough to like look at the cdc and the who but like you know an, a really good in, a thing is is should we be doing temperature checks mm-hmm. right like we're not we've decided not to be, but because we're not a hospital-based system we're seeing relatively well people you can be an asymptomatic carrier anyways right and i've talked to a bunch of physicians that basically say nicole you're you know you're fine but i had to go to like my physician friends right. to make sure that that was like an okay thing that we didn't implement here you know and i just don't i feel like there could have been a little bit better um cohesive uh support for everybody during this time the private practice section was decent at mm-hmm. bringing out like covid related policies but they yeah, didn't but it's only available to members well right, right. exactly i don't have it <laughs> 100%, right? And I just joined because I j- literally just joined not too long ago because yeah. I was finally like, let me change some shit about this stuff. <laughs> no. So, yeah. You know, so, it, uh, here's the thing. Like, and I don't know whether you agree with me or not. It didn't matter, but it's like, I want to know what you think. Because for me, it's like, one, yes. Like, I finally, I was a member of the PPS for like eight years. And finally, I was like, my voice doesn't matter. I'm gone. And then, you know, cause I've got things rejected, blah, blah, blah. I just, I was like, I've got better time and better use to do some other things. Okay. So I feel like what the APTA put out wasn't strong enough. It was very wishy-washy. Yes. It's protecting PTs because we're all essential, but right. Okay. But it's not saying anything that's helpful for me. Like right. as in a my business situation. owner. Right. Yeah, as a business or, owner. Or even as an employee, like what should I expect from my employer? 100%. That honestly, mm-hmm. that I had, cannot tell you how many people I had reaching out to me being like, my employer is doing this. My employer is doing that. I don't agree with this. And I'm just like, there are no real guidelines. Like, 
all I can tell you is that they're being a shit communicator right now. And that that should at least be a thing. Because even when we didn't know what the heck we were doing, we were talking to our people like every step of the way. We were saying like, I don't know. We had our therapists also look and try to help the poli- to help make the policies so mm-hmm. that everybody was sort of in the same boat, rowing the same direction. But it would have been nice to have uh, some sort of an overarching association where you didn't have to be a member to know kind of what I feel like PPS could have said, hey, we have it. This is typically for members, but any private practice owner can see what we're doing and see what our members get. Because like I could come up with it. I'm not the smartest research-based therapist, right? It would cost me lots of time to go figure this out. And I'm going to create something and yeah, I could share it with people, but the people that do this all day long should be the ones that say, Hey, look, you don't need to go to the dental association or the spa association of America to figure out the best practices for reopening your business. Here's what we have. Right. 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 I a hundred percent. I'm not crazy. Right. (laughs) No. And to differentiate between the different types of, of clinics. I think that Mm -hmm. the, what they ended up putting out was meant a little bit of a half-assed thing, right. To like, encompass everybody but like how hard is it to please like say what you think you know what the guidelines are what are the non-negotiables what are the negotiables Mm -hmm. right if you are open right now you should 100% be wearing masks whatever optional temperature checks I mean whatever the recommendations would be it would be what that would have been wouldn't that have been amazing yeah but I also (laughs) feel like you know a marketer and like an EMR company and you know like shouldn't be the ones putting out these guidelines right Right? right? It should be a research-based, I don't know. Anyway, so with that being said, like I've had the hardest time feeling like, how can I open when I don't have a clear guideline from my association? Then my other piece is, how do I even open when I can't even get my hands on disinfectant? Oh, totally. So well, and- how have you, like, what are you doing in those instances? Like actual logistically. Um, so this is a total sidebar and just absolutely 100% lucky that so Jesse, my husband's mom, actually owns a hand sanitizer company <laughs> that was actually like not doing super great before this. Wow. Frankly, and now is going great. So we actually have access to hand sanitizer like that, but we've actually had a hard time getting like a cleaner and like mm-hmm. sani wipes and we can't find clorox wipes anywhere um so that's been a more of a challenge so we like basically just asked all of our all of our staff and like bring what you have at home yeah. um and we're just we basically are like just piecing mealing by. are you like cleaning the tables and face cradles after each treatment yes and all surfaces and then we did stuff like um take out the cloth for people that can see, we can actually like, we've have chairs now in Mm -hmm. our SERP that we can actually wipe down. But you know, our, we kind of prided ourselves too on being like this kind of cush, you know, cash based practice and with like nice chairs and cloth and all this stuff. And now that's all in our other storage area for right now. Cause we just, there's just no way to like disinfect that. So every surface that we have, yeah. So we're disinfecting all the tables. We're making sure that, you know, and we have a laundry service that has medical grade, you know, washers and dryers and stuff. So they're, they're making sure to take all their stuff. So we're getting our linens from a, from a place that supplies hospitals as well. You know, and we had a, we, one of the biggest things on whether or not we could open was, do we have enough masks? Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, right. So we decided, so we're not wearing N95s, right? Because I don't think that, that we, that's necessary for the type of clinic we're at. So we're, we're having everybody wear cloth masks, bring, it's like BYOM, like that's so fun. <laughs> bring right. your own mask. Um, and then we have to, but we had to have extras here in case patients forgot theirs. So then we had a hard time finding surgical mm-hmm. masks. We just happened to be able to, I mean, I think we just got lucky. We started trying to order them like like a month prior and yeah. it took forever to get here and stuff. Um, and then, you know, we have a, our laundry service company actually has ability to get that kind of stuff because they supply hospitals as well, but it's super crazy expensive. Right. So we're trying to avoid that if we can, but we do know that there's a backup there in case we, we really. Yeah. yeah. Run into it's kind of crazy. Like North Carolina right now, it's like the 21st, right? So this, uh, our phase two starts on Friday night and massage opens with other services like, you know, PT, we haven't been closed. We've been doing mostly telehealth, but I mean, we're at like 50% capacity, right? Our call volume's at 40%. Yeah. (laughs) It's nuts. But uh, I guess my point was, I'm sitting here going, how can I open when I can't even clean my, inside my clinic? And it's, it's kind of crazy. And yet people are going to open it, which leads me to believe that either they've got sanitizer somewhere or they're doing something different. So you know, and, and we can just get bleach and spray bleach down, but it would yeah. be really nice. Like I was saying, like, it'd be really nice to know, like, I need to, is that necessary? Is it necessary for me right. to do certain things and when, and, and I don't have guidance on it. And hopefully we've shed it a little guidance on it. Like, like, yes, we're supposed to. And, you know, just trying to get all that stuff has been more, I've spent more time on little bullshit like that. Totally. as a business owner, then actually trying to figure out how do I serve my patients and get patients, totally. patients in the door? We had, I mean, can, I cannot tell you how many hours we spent, like actually looking at some scientific research and stuff on like how far respiratory droplets, like what mm-hmm. is the grade of, of mass that we have? Like, right. Cause it's like, do that's the point, right. To not have the respiratory droplets coming out. Right. So are these okay? Like, I, I mean, I think so. I, I hope so. You know, it's just like, well, and I mean, the one, the one thankful thing that we have to just to be really thankful for too, is that we're not in an area where it's super crazy scary, like mm-hmm. New York or something like that. So we, we have the luxury of also that being a little bit removed from a true like huge exponential growth mm-hmm. in, in in cases and stuff, we have seen the R value of the spread decrease in our region, right? So we can also be a little bit more confident. Right. If you can be confident in the numbers yeah. <laughs> um, with that. So we're just trying, but it's like we're just trying to do the best we can with the information we have and and thank goodness that we have brains. But yeah, it would have been, been nice right. to have some a little other guidance, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what Nicole, what does like like with pelvic therapy, like I know there's a couple different as well as manual therapy, there's a couple different camps in different areas of pelvic therapy, right? Mm-hmm. So there's manual based, there's people need internal, there's people don't need internal, there's I'll do it when it's necessary. And then there's some people out there that never do it, you know, Yes. you know, and how do you navigate that? Because I know for me, like I don't do internal, but I help women with certain problems, uh, incontinence, prolapse, pelvic pain issues, et cetera. Uh And most of it for me is education and breathing. And I can easily do that in video. But there's a lot of things that you like, we're not a pelvic specialty practice, so we don't see all the more complicated issues. 
right? So how are you navigating those and like which pieces are easier to work with on like maybe video visits because some people listening to this won't be seeing patients in person and right. others will be and doing internal, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like people are like, I do internal and I can't do it. So I'm not doing any therapy. I'm like, but you can still talk to people. Oh, totally. Well, and then there's the whole coaching aspect of our profession that I feel like mm -hmm. people don't value or think that that we know how to do, but both from a consumer standpoint and also like, I think us as PTs, like, don't forget, like that's probably the single most important thing that we do for people is have a, a third party for them. Like come in and say, Hey, look at this. We're assessing your entire plan mm -hmm. from a from a, we call it pelvic health foundations, right? From a sleep perspective, from a um, ergonomic perspective, from a movement perspective, from a, from a stress management perspective, from a nutrition perspective, all of that stuff doesn't necessarily need hands-on care. In fact, most of it doesn't in terms of the foundation. So that's one of the things that our clinic pivoted to when we, we actually had most of our current patients join a a patient-centered Facebook group that we kind of already had, but then we really sort of put our foot on the gas with that. And we had a couple of really affordable online course options for mm -hmm. patients that all dealt with the foundations of pelvic health. So we had a challenge in our Facebook group um, that was completely free and then a relatively cheap option for to do a whole movement course for pelvic health. So I feel like in this time, it's good to, to look at what kinds of things you can offer patients and what things you maybe should be doing and could be doing, but you don't have time to do that in your session right. and then see if those things can be translated in some sort of form of digital service. And for us, that happened to look like a Facebook group and online courses and they went really well. We had a, and mm -hmm. those things, every single thing that we pivoted to doing and spending time on is something that we can use outside of coronavirus, right? So right. now, we can either sell that as a product to our patients or we can decide what we're going to do with that in terms of offering that for our current pelvic sanity patients. You know, as when they come in, if we decide to raise prices, that would be a good added benefit to to have for them that that's quote unquote free. You know, so I feel like that's another, you know, piece of, of advice that I have for anybody. If, if you're needing to pivot to something that isn't hands-on care, that make sure you're pivoting to something that you can sustain after coronavirus, mm -hmm. because that's where it's going to be the biggest bang for your buck and the biggest bang for your time, effort, energy, and, and frankly, money as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause I see it for us. Like this has allowed me to actually finally finish my pelvic PT lead magnet. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I've been working on it for a while. I didn't have any time. I finally finished it partly because we found a yoga studio that wanted us to come in and teach this stuff, you know, Ooh. for their members. Yeah. And now we've got it. And then like, oh, I can market that to anybody and see these people, you know, on video wow. and, and, and they don't have to come see me in person for yeah. a, a big portion of what, uh, what we're doing. Totally. And then, so for anybody to go back to one of your other questions about what yeah. should somebody do if they want to serve this type of population, but they don't necessarily have the internal component or, or they don't even want to do that, right? Is that I just would ask that everybody has a, some form of a screening protocol for when that would be an a, important evaluation or important piece of information to know. So, so that's sort of where I 
like. And I, and I will go so far as to say that I don't think that you can say that you do pelvic floor therapy, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't actually have somebody that has that capability to truly assess the pelvic floor. Now, what I do think people can totally do is say that they um, are, are women's health athletes, people that, and then list the things that you can treat. But the internal component is, is just as important to me as evaluating like every single part of a shoulder girdle. Like could, could you imagine, you know, assessing a shoulder without looking actually at the rotator cuff like that? It's like, ah, that doesn't really, you're not getting the full picture. Sure. You can make it improvements, but are you really getting the full picture? Mm -hmm. And so I just asked everybody has like a, a, some sort of a screening protocol for the people that would be appropriate for that, we yeah. created one called the Cozine Pelvic Floor Dysfunction Screening Protocol. Oh, so nice. that's nice. So it's yeah, just a series of 10 questions, right? That you can ask your people. Can also help you to start asking those kind of like embarrassing questions that you don't really know how to ask your patient. But basically, if they say yes to three or more of those 10 questions, then it's 91% likely that they have some form of pelvic floor dysfunction that would that would be um, helpful to have an internal assessment to see how much of an impact that pelvic floor is having on what their symptom presentation mm-hmm. is. And for some people, it's like, oh, like you can to- we just need to tweak this thing and then you can go back to your your therapist or whatever. Yeah. And then, so we work really closely with some orthopedic practices here for that as well. That's awesome. Where, yeah. Like, where do we get that screening tool or what are the top three, what are the top three questions or, or, or so one of the most interesting know, ones, yeah. So one of the most yeah. interesting ones is that do you have a history of fall on your tailbone, even mm-hmm. into childhood, right? And then we ask like, how many times a night do you get up to pee? We ask about how many times you have a bowel movement a day to screen for sort of constipation or straining, urgency, frequency of urination during the day, incontinence, and yeah, there's a couple of other ones on there. But yeah, yeah. but that's on our website at we Pelvic Sanity or. Yeah, pelvic sanity publications section. There's like a screening protocol and it was presented at the International Public Pain Society meeting too. So that's good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes um, as long as people uh, uh, editing the show remember. Um, But we'll we'll do that because that sounds really awesome. Um, If you could, uh, I was looking at it, maybe maybe you just shoot me a link over to that. I will, 100%. Yeah, that's awesome. So Nicole, what do you think is like, What's the future of like PT or even just specifically pelvic PT now that whether it's the coronavirus is changing things or the internet videos changing things? Like what do you see happening in the next few months and years? ah, Totally. I think that ultimately this has taught us a couple of things, right? I think that just from a general pelvic PT or even just PT section is that one-on-one in-person care, I still believe is the gold standard, if you will, but that there are certainly tons of other things that we can do to reach patients and provide value to patients with our expertise and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like this is a big wake-up call for our profession that we need to be diversifying our message to patients on how we can be helpful and effective for them. And if we don't go online and meet patients online in some form, some capacity, social media, Facebook group, online course, 
some way, then we're going to be left in the dust. And this is the time where we have to rise to that occasion Mm -hmm. and make sure that we are equipped to do that in a meaningful way to carve out what we deserve to have, right? Which is our education and our expertise respected in in the population. And so I really feel like this is a pivotal moment for us as a profession to have leaders step up and, and do that for people and and have examples of what that looks like because your traditional, like, yeah, of course it's going to be great for one-on-one care, but that's not in in person. But coronavirus has shown that that is not always going to be the case where we can do that. And we don't know what else is going to come of anything else. And and coronavirus isn't going away either. Like, you know, we're looking at this being an impact for at least a year, probably, you know, probably through at least this flu season and maybe even into the next spring. So it's not going to go away. So we can't just (laughs) sit in our fetal position like we all wanted to at the beginning and hope that that's going to just go back to normal because it's, it's, it's not, we're going to have to create our own new normal. Right. Do you think we're actually stepping up as a profession like we should? I, I actually do. I think I've seen a lot of people do that. I think that I think that it's been good. I think that that people are are starting to learn and, and mm-hmm. show what we can do um, for, especially from a telehealth standpoint. What I do think would be really helpful is if we I don't understand I personally don't quite understand the state ridiculousness of that we can only do it in our own state. It's like, I I wish we could just have a national sort of agreement that like if you're a PT, I don't know if the OIPT in New York is any different than a PT in California. (laughs) So those kinds of things, at least for digital stuff should be, I don't know, there's got to be a a way for that to happen. And then that could blow up our whole profession and, and have it be freaking awesome that we can show our stuff to everybody else. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Well, that's awesome. Well, we're about out of time. Is there anything else you think would be helpful for people to know about what's been going on with you guys or anything else? Gosh, I just feel like I would say this. I would say as a business owner, it's been particularly challenging. And I think that, you know, you can never plan for everything, but you certainly can be better prepared for certain things like this. And being able to know your numbers and being able to project and ask your audience and ask your patients what they need and what they want and what they're willing and can do, that I think that that's been hugely valuable for us in order to plan what we're going to end up doing. So we're not just you know shooting in the dark. It's that we actually have a targeted, as best we can, right, a targeted approach to everything that we're doing. And also knowing now that we can't necessarily rely on past behavior metrics. Like you better start now, like looking at the patterns of behavior of your patients, which is essentially your, the consumer and looking at the ways that they are consuming information now. And we need to be able to meet them where they are. And for us, we're lucky so far that it, that's been in person as well, that's bounced back, but that doesn't mean that we can just go back to how it was. We have to continue to push forward in some of those other, other mm-hmm. markets and other areas too, in order for us to have a better diversification of, of our, our expertise. Awesome. No, I, I totally agree. Well, that's so great. Where, if someone wants to find out more about you, find out about the pelvic 
PT huddle or, you know, connect with you somewhere, how, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So I run a group of 4,000, over 4,000 now pelvic PTs um, called the Pelvic PT Huddle. For all of the pelvic PT stuff, I have a new website called pelvicptrising.com. Mm -hmm. And then my clinic for any patient-centered information is also pelvicsanity.com. So feel free to reach out any way there. The best place is, is either DM on Instagram, which is at Nicole Cozine DPT, or just email Nicole at pelvicsanity.com. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nicole, for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Erin. I really appreciate this. And I, I hope that this, I mean, it's going to, I know it's going to help a lot of business owners of what everything that you're doing and, and helping just, we're all in this together. <laughs> so hopefully we can just continue to march forward. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and spending time with us today. Thanks for coming to PT BizCon. In case anyone wants to see Nicole's talk on finding your ethos at PT BizCon, go to ptbizcon.com. Um, but I really appreciate you being here. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime again soon. I know. You know. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. This is Aaron LeBauer and Nicole Cozine. This is the Cash PT Lunch Hour. So go out and crush it. Don't worry about it being uh, a little uncertain right now because we're all in the same boat and we're going to get there together. Thanks. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.